we get out again Deuteronomy chapter 11 and later on we'll read from verse 25 a couple of things I want to say before we turn to Deuteronomy an item came in the other day about Christians we were talking uh, in our prayer there about Christian suffering Hindu mobs went on a rampage against Christians in the Indian state of Orissa on Christmas Eve a report in the Christian Post for December the 27th said the riots continued for three days the Global Council of Indian Christians reported that at least 2,000 Christians had been injured two killed and 20 churches damaged including some burned to the ground the mobs were led by activists affiliated with the World Hindu Council and they made no distinction between Catholics, Protestants, Baptists or anybody else (coughs) at least one Indian preacher was forced to kneel before Hindu gods after being beaten up it was in Orissa you know in 1999 do you remember that case where there was a horrible attack on an Australian missionary and his two sons while sleeping in their station wagon one night they were surrounded by a noisy Hindu mob and forced to remain in the car while it was set on fire Baptist missionary Graham Staines and his sons Philip and Timothy were burned to death Staines had been showing the love of Christ by working with leprosy patients in India for 34 years it was a very sad case and so we we have lots of reports like this happening throughout the world a few weeks ago I mentioned uh, the letter which was written by about 128 I think it was 138 Muslim scholars, clerics and intellectuals from all over the world and they claimed common ground was shared by Christianity Judaism and Islam and the statement was well received by a lot of people and this uh, chap I'm quoting here is a man called Dave Hunt and somebody wrote to him expressing concern that he didn't approve of the reply that a lot of people had sent in uh, response to this letter and he criticised Dave Hunt he says the common ground between us is supposedly love of God and neighbour Muslims say their God is the infinitely good and all merciful God and a group of Yale scholars criticised the they, they agreed that the Bible tells us God is love and they were in favour of the reply that was sent by various people none of us none of you has faith until you love your neighbour what you love for yourself and the Yale scholars compared that with verses in the Bible where we should love our neighbour the eighth scholars also state that when freedom to worship God according to one's conscience is curtailed God is dishonoured and neither God nor neighbour is loved haven't you been this chap says haven't you been a bit rough on those trying to establish peaceful cooperation with Christians and Muslims if it is possible the Bible says 
as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Many Muslims want peace. Can't we accept the olive branch they offer? Many Christian leaders have signed this agreement. And the letter from the Muslims said that they wanted to show conviviality and cooperation extended to Christians worldwide. They extended their own Christian hand in return so that we may live in peace and loving God and neighbours. You see, the people replied saying they wanted to live in peace with these people who worshipped the same God as they did. And the reply that Dave Hunt says, he says, we have a common ground, an olive branch and religious peace. Islam says Allah is the only true God. Sixteen times the Quran says Allah is not a father and has no son. But the very foundation of Christianity is that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. The father sent the son to be the saviour of the world. The Quran says Christ is not the son of God, did not die for our sins on the cross, Someone died in his place. So he did not rise from the dead. And anyone who believes in the Trinity goes to hell. What common ground is there with those who reject every Christian distinctive? Muhammad teaches love for neighbor. That's what they claim. His career included murder of hundreds of innocent people. All neighbors by Christ's definition. During scores of unprovoked attacks upon villages and caravans involving murder and robbery. This horror has been multiplied thousands of times by sincere Muslims following the Quran and Muhammad's example. Slaughtering and torturing untold millions from France to China for 1300 years. The unequaled mayhem and murder is still justified by Muslim historians and clerics as true Islam. Allah be praised. When the Twin Towers came down, hundreds of thousands of Muslims around the world danced in the streets shouting, Allahu Akbar, Allah is the greatest. The same cry rang, rang in the streets during the Muslim riots in Paris, the Muslim riots over the Danish cartoons, and when two Israelis made a wrong turn into Ramallah and were literally torn apart by a frenzied mob. Mobs during binge after binge of destruction of property and innocent lives always scream praise to Allah. And Allah is the common ground they say for peace. Christians mistreated Muslims in the Crusades. That is what they claim. The Crusaders were not Christians but Roman Catholics to whom to match Islam's promise of paradise for Muslims dying in jihad Pope Urban promised escape from purgatory to heaven for dying in the fight to recover the Holy Land. Not for Israel but for the Roman Catholic Church. They disobeyed Christ in fighting for an earthly kingdom and killed every Jew they encountered. 
Christ and Christianity cannot be blamed for what these deceived pawns of Rome did. Muslims had attacked and captured North Africa, Egypt, Syria, Turkey, 400 years earlier, and had been torturing and enslaving and slaughtering innocent and peaceful civilians for centuries before the Crusaders finally struck back. The Yale scholars who said we are being intolerant can't be ignorant of history. These scholars are suppressing the truth to promote a lie. Excesses in the war on terror. They claim that there have been excesses in the war on terror. At least the British and Americans followed the rules of warfare and punished their own troops if they misbehave. Compare that with vehicles loaded with explosives, detonated in markets, suicide bombers in mosques, every devilishly clever deception possible to kill and maim, torturing and beheading prisoners, and we are guilty of excesses. Anyone who thinks we are in Afghanistan and Iraq for anything other than as much as possible to find some means of living peaceably with these morally blind monsters is wrong. And then the Guan, he goes on to say about freedom to worship God according to the dictates of one's conscience. These Yale scholars and evangelical signatories suggest we are preventing this. We give Muslims all religious freedom in the West. We let them build mosques by the thousands. Though in many they hide terrorists and plot our destruction. How do Muslims respond? Everywhere they gain control, all non-Islamic religions are suppressed and often prohibited. Christians are killed and churches destroyed by the thousands from Nigeria to Indonesia to Pakistan. In Saudi Arabia, you can't carry a Bible in the street, cannot build a non-Muslim place of worship, or even worship the God of the Bible in the privacy of your own home. You must be a Muslim to be a citizen. There is no freedom of the press, of speech, of religion, of worship. Any Muslim who converts to any other religion is beheaded in public. Where is the extended olive branch? Islam's Allah is the infinitely good and all-merciful God, they tell us. Tell that to the many millions enslaved, tortured and slaughtered in his name. Muslims killed more just in India than Hitler killed in all the East and West Europe and North Africa. Muhammad claimed, Allah has commanded me to fight against all people until all people confess there is no God but Allah. And Muhammad is his prophet. Terrorists today are not extremists but true Muslims. Obedient to Allah and following Muhammad's example. Peace is for those who submit to Allah. Some olive branch. Then he goes on to say, I'm shocked by the leaders who join Muslims in signing this document. Which betrays Christ and the gospel for a phony promise of peace from the enemies of God and Israel. And he goes on to say, sadly, here are some of them. Bill Hybels. Well, 
he's the guy who's, who's, who's wasted millions on his programs in his church. And of course Rick Warren, George Verver of Operation Mobilization, John Stott, who was the vicar of All Souls Langham Place, supposed to be a great evangelical, but he is an annihilationist. He doesn't believe that the souls will be eternally uh, in hell. And so on. David Yonggi Cho, he's a, 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 one of the biggest churches in uh, Korea, but he has great Buddhist leanings. So there we are. I thought uh, that reply sort of summed it up fairly well what, what we should do in, in respect of these olive branches which are held out by Muslim leaders and the replies that has been sent. Okay, that's taken me a bit longer than I thought. Let's go on to Deuteronomy chapter 11 and we'll read from verse 25. There shall no man be able to stand before you, for the Lord your God shall lay the fear of you and the dread of you upon all the land that ye shall tread upon, as he hath said unto you. Behold, I set before you this day a blessing and a curse, a blessing if ye obey the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you this day, and a curse if ye do not obey the commandments of the Lord your God, <coughs> But turn aside out of the way which I command you this day, to go after other gods which ye have not known. And it shall come to pass, when the Lord thy God hath brought thee in unto the land whither thou goest to possess it, that thou shalt put the blessing upon Mount Gerizim, and the curse upon Mount Ebal. Are they not on the other side, Jordan, by the way where the sun goeth down in the land of the Canaanites which dwell in the Champagne, that's the plain over against Gilgal beside the plains of Mora for ye shall pass over Jordan to go in to possess the land which the Lord your God giveth you and ye shall possess it and dwell therein and ye shall observe to do all the statutes and commandments which I set before you this day. Well, <clears throat> verse 25, if they follow the commands of the Lord, then, as we have seen, there shall no man be able to stand before you, for the Lord your God shall lay the fear of you and the dread of you upon all the land that you shall tread upon as he hath said unto you and you know the story of the spies going in to Jericho we mentioned it a few weeks ago Rahab who hid the two men who went to spy on Jericho actually testified the actual fact that God is here saying she said I know that the Lord hath given you this land given it he, she knew that the land had been given already by God. I know that the Lord hath given you this land and that your terror is fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land faint because of you. And amazing. A pagan heathen nation could see God's hand at work. But you know sadly many of the Israelites failed to believe 
in their miracle working God so often we see that sometimes the people outside the church have, have a greater knowledge of the greatness of God than some of the people inside rest was assured to the people in the land that God had promised it was all of God there was nothing the Israelites could do against the enemy but we saw in Deuteronomy when we looked at Deuteronomy chapter 4 it was because, <laughs> because God loved thy fathers therefore he chose their seed after them and brought thee out in, the si- in his sight and his mighty power out of Egypt to drive out nations from before thee greater and mightier than thou art to bring thee in to give thee their land for an inheritance as it is this day God had given them the land already we reminded ourselves that it is because God loves us we may enjoy the promises and blessings we have in Christ and he says come unto me all ye that labour and are heavy laden and I will give you rest take my yoke upon you and learn of me for I am meek and lowly in heart and ye shall find rest unto your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light we saw that as soon as the Israelites left Egypt that land was theirs by divine right they had but to take possession of it and we too through faith must walk in the light of God's word and his promises in order to do that we must live close to him as it says in verse 22 we must walk in all his ways walk in all his ways you know many many times in scripture we are exhorted to walk in the ways of God to walk as Jesus walked now I'm sure we've all had little dogs puppies we have to train that puppy to walk as the way you want it to walk it has to stay close to you it cannot walk in your ways unless it does stay close it's a natural thing for a puppy to run all over the place but you want to train it to walk to stay close God always wanted his people to live close to his word to walk close to him so that they could see his mighty works and he wants you and me to do the same you know there's a lovely verse in the psalm psalm 37 the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord for he delighted in his way if your steps are ordered by the Lord then he will delight in the way you are walking but we must have our steps ordered by the Lord keep ourselves in order with his ways and then we will delight in us if our steps are ordered by the Lord it's a twofold thing the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord and he delighteth in his way some 
so many of us think that we can walk in the ways of God by as Peter did followed afar off remember when they arrested the Lord Jesus we read that Peter followed afar off and sadly look what happened he denied his Lord three times we need to keep close to God day by day you know I, I was thinking about this Jesus saying come unto me and I'll give you rest and I was looking at these things which you said last week and thought about the situation that Moses found himself in years previously when God called him and he had to go and stand before Pharaoh the wicked one who kept the children God's people captive the children of Israel were held captive by this wicked king you know do you sometimes feel that the ways of God seem to be difficult for us to understand well I know people will say well God's ways are not our ways and that is so true nevertheless we sometimes struggle to see a way ahead in difficulties I often think that Moses must have felt a bit like that as he led the people through the wilderness or even when he was sent by God to confront Pharaoh you know when he was younger during his time in the palace he must surely have wondered where it was all leading why was he in the palace when all the rest of the Israelites were being tortured and having to make bricks but God was preparing him for this great task of leading his people out of Egypt in triumph God was molding Moses into the pattern he required of him his ways were being ordered by God and Moses was allowing himself to be ordered by God he used to sing that hymn have thine own way Lord have thine own way thou art the potter I am the clay mould me and make me after thy will while I am waiting yielded and still have thine own way Lord have thine own way <clears throat> search me and try me master today whiter than snow Lord wash me just now as in thy presence humbly I bow have thine own way Lord have thine own way wounded and weary help me I pray power all power surely is thine touch me and heal me saviour divine have thine own way Lord have thine own way hold o'er my being absolute sway fill with thy spirit till all shall see Christ only always living in me we have to allow God to have absolute sway in our lives you know do you ever wonder why did God not just bring all the negotiations with Pharaoh to a speedy end and just bring the people out without all the trouble of going through the plagues and all the trouble do you ever wonder why did God 
do it that way. I think we should turn to Exodus 10. There's a little bit of a digression. This Exodus chapter 10. And the Lord said unto Moses, Go in unto Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart and the heart of his servants, that I might show these my signs before him. And that thou mayest tell in the ears of thy son and of thy son's son what things I have wrought in Egypt. And my signs which I have done among them that they may know how that I am the Lord. And Moses and Aaron came in unto Pharaoh. God was in charge of the situation. That's the thing. Now the little word at the start which says go in unto Pharaoh in the Hebrew apparently that word is Bo. it's mentioned over two and a half thousand times in the Bible and about fourteen hundred times when it's translated it means come it's translated as come so what God was saying is come in unto Pharaoh and that's why in verse 3 it says and Moses and Aaron came in unto Pharaoh God says come in unto Pharaoh and they came in unto Pharaoh you know if you go back away in Exodus chapter 3 God said to Moses I will be with thee and so here in Exodus 10 God says come in unto Pharaoh God was present in this situation and wanted Moses to share in this wonderful demonstration of his almighty power he wanted Moses to be there when he was displaying his power and three things he says that I might show these my signs before him (coughs) God wants Moses to witness it why? that thou mayest tell in the ears of thy son and of thy son's son what things I have wrought in Egypt and my signs which I have done among them he wanted there Moses to be a witness to the wonderful things that he was going to do and the ultimate reason was and that ye may know how that I am the Lord the ultimate thing that Moses wanted God wanted Moses to realize that this, that he was a mighty God. That ye might know that I am the Lord. The plagues were not just about punishing Egypt. They were also very much about showing the Israelites the greatness of their God. And his faithfulness to his covenant. God wanted Israel to see how clearly their deliverance was the work of his hands alone 
so that they would teach their sons and their sons and their sons' sons and all the rest about the great things he did. And he wanted Moses to come close so that he could observe all that was taking place. I have to come close enough to see if I'm walking away from God I will miss something. I will miss the experience of his greatness. Lest I forget. You know at times we think of the hard times we have to go through. Where's the relief? Where's the breakthrough? Perhaps God is waiting for us to come close to him. So that he can, at that particular time, point out what he wants us to be. We have to stay close. Moses had to stay close to God. Come in. Come into the situation. And in that situation, Moses could see the mighty work of God. But also he could see that you may know that I am the Lord. And so acknowledged that God was at the centre of it all. Why do things sometimes appear to get worse before they get better? So that eventually you may know that God is the Lord. We, we spoke about this when we, we, we spoke uh, a while back about Mary, the two Mary and Martha, and Lazarus dying. Things must have seemed completely dead as far as they were concerned but Jesus said that God's name was going to be glorified in that situation and this is a similar thing here come into the situation, come close so that God can reveal his mighty power in our lives, there's no greater reason God said to Moses come in God was with Moses in this whole episode Pharaoh's heart was hardened against all that God would do. Let us never forget that through all our problems, however insurmountable they may appear to us, we have the assurance of the one who said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Come. Come close to God. Draw nigh unto God and he will draw nigh unto you. Same way as Jesus said. Come unto me all ye that are weary and heavy laden. And I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. For I am meek and lowly in heart. And ye shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy. And my burden is light. And it is God's desire that in all situations. His name will be glorified in my life. Christ himself prayed to his father in the garden of Gethsemane. Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. That is what God wants us to, wants to hear from us. That we want to do his will and not our will. You know, man constantly seeks to glorify himself. We have all these 
memorial services now that are quite common to to uh, uh, what's the word they use uh, to magnify uh, celebrate the life of so and so celebrate the life of so and so never hear them saying they want to celebrate the life of the Lord Jesus Christ in the life of so and so no these things don't want to celebrate the life of of the person here's a simple test and I've been conscious of this for years I don't think I've ever said it to anybody walk through your local cemetery look at the tombstones and look at the epitaphs it says normally to the glory of God and the memory of John Smith look at the size of the letters which bit is given the most prominence see if you can find a gravestone where to the glory of God is in any way bigger than the name of John Smith <laughs> I know that's been a bit simplistic but it, it struck me always when I look at a gravestone you get little letters at the top to the glory of God and then big letters at the bottom and the memory of John Smith John Smith's more important than the glory of God and you know that's <laughs> that's been very simplistic but it's always struck me as I walk through cemeteries about that man always pushes himself forward bow that little word B-O come come closer to the Holy One and listen to his voice God wants us to walk closer to him but back to Deuteronomy 11 verse 29 God again impresses upon the people the need for obedience blessings for obedience cursings for disobedience and then they, he, it's a, there's a sort of an object lesson here an object lesson Now, I, when I was a child uh, a young fellow and we used to go to a children's meeting and if the speaker came without a bag or a little box or even a blackboard he'd lost my attention straight away I loved when they came with an object lesson that they would produce something out of a case and talk about it it held my attention now here was a type of object lesson and it will be when your Lord has brought you into the land where you go to possess it you shall set the blessing upon Mount Gerizim and the curse upon Mount Ebal now these were two mountains one had lush vegetation on it Mount Gerizim and one had sparse vegetation and God said these two mountains are going to represent the blessings which you have if you obey me and the, the cursings if you disobey me it was a picture of those who walk in obedience to God's word will be fruitful like that mountain like trees planted by rivers of water while those who walk in disobedience will be withered and stunted in their Christian life producing no fruit as we saw a few weeks ago in the example of the Irish potato family and we'll talk more about these two mountains later on 
when it, it, we get about chapter 30 or so, there's a whole lot more that can be said about that. But for that, for those two mountains, we leave them like that for the moment. But then in verse 30, it's interesting. It says, uh, where they are. Are they not on the other side of Jordan by the way where the sun goes down in the land of the Canaanites in the valley in the plain over against Gilgal beside the plains of Mora? It is interesting isn't it that Gilgal and Mora are mentioned here. Gilgal was the place where they stopped after they crossed the Jordan into the promised land Gilgal during the time they were in the wilderness the people had neglected the sign of separation for God from the nations round about they hadn't performed the rite of circumcision and here in Gilgal it was reintroduced and those who had not been circumcised were done so Pointing to a, a new commitment and testimony to God and a separation from the nations into whose land they were going. And it also was where it says the reproach of Egypt was cast off. All that was of Egypt was to be left behind. And they were to go in and possess the land and the blessings of the land. Gilgal. We need to assess our situation before God and rid ourselves and our lives, our Christian lives, of all the trappings which we collect as we travel through this wilderness. We need from time to time reaffirm our commitment to follow our Saviour, to walk close to Him. We are to lay aside every weight. As it says in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 1. To lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us. And run with patience the race that is set before us. We are to lay aside every weight. And the sin which doth so easily beset us and run with patience the race that is set before us you know I haven't I've said it before and I'll say it again you can run a marathon race in an overcoat but you won't win the race you have to lay aside those things which will hold you back in your Christian life I remember a few years ago in Falmouth I saw an international racing yacht and it was what I suppose one would call a lean racing machine. All the items which would encumber the crew and take their minds off the main object to win the race were absent. Only those items which would help them succeed to win the race were on that boat. And that is the way we should live our Christian lives. Get rid of all the stuff which holds us back from winning the race. 
And then we come to this word here, Mora. Beside the plains of Mora. Mora means teacher. Where they now prepared to be taught by God? And sadly the answer was no. Way back in Genesis 12, Mora was the place where God met Abraham. The oaks of Mora. Oaks are strong trees. And they probably speak of the strength and stability. The sea shanty, shanty says, I don't know whether he ever sang it, hearts of oak are our ships, jolly towers are our men. Ever ready, we fight and we conquer again and again. Something like that. Strong oak ships able to withstand the storms and tempests which will be flung against them. So here the suggestion is the stability and strength which is connected with divine teaching and divine faithfulness. God had promised wonderful promises to Abraham when God met him on the plains of Morah. God's teaching is necessary when applied to our lives to enable us to withstand the storms of doubt, temptation and evil which Satan would seek to attack us with as we sail through life. Genesis 12 verse 6 and 7 Abraham passed through the land in the place of Shechem unto the oak of Morah and the Canaanite was then in the land and the Lord appeared to Abraham and said I will give thee this land and to your seed and he built an altar there to the Lord who appeared to him Abraham believed God and God was here at this time when Moses was speaking fulfilling his promise many many years later and that promise to Israel holds good to this day like a mighty oak are we willing like Abraham to believe God and to follow him in all circumstances and be taught by God Mora means teaching are we prepared to be taught by God day by day and you know someday if we do that we shall receive the completion of our inheritance Christ Jesus in whom also we have been chosen to an inheritance being predestinated according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his own will for us to be to the praise of his glory he wants us to be items who will praise people who will praise and be there to the praise of his glory who previously had trusted in Christ in whom you also hearing the word of truth the gospel of our salvation in whom also believing you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise who is the earnest of our inheritance to the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory in verse 31 
For ye shall pass over Jordan to go in and possess the land which the Lord your God giveth you. And ye shall possess it and dwell therein. And someday we shall see our Saviour face to face. Face to face shall I behold him far beyond the starry sky. Face to face in all his glory I shall see him by and by. Amen.